Like a chrysalis, we're emerging from the economy of the Industrial Revolution. An economy confined to and limited by the Earth's physical resources into the economy in mind, in which there are no bounds on human imagination, and the freedom to create is the most precious natural resource. Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, business and the knowledge economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. I'm Ron Baker, along with my good friend and Sage Institute colleague, Ed Kless. On today's show, folks, we're talking about the ESG illusion. We're going to go over Vivek Ramaswamy, and yes, the same one who's running for president, his new book, Capitalist Punishment, How Wall Street is Using Your Money to Create a Country You Didn't Vote For. Hey, Ed. Hey, Ron. How's it going? Good, good, good. And as always, when we do this topic, because of the situation, I have to read my disclaimer that the views expressed are mine and mine alone, and not those of my employer or our sponsor, Sage, and just want to get that out there. So, Absolutely. Same thing here. <laughs> just my views, my two cents. Just, 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 just me talking. Uh, Ed, this book, I think, is incredible. I think uh, we need to send it to everybody who is a proponent of ESG and have them answer these arguments. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, there's a couple really, really big ideas in here. But one of the things I was really impressed in, whenever he put forward uh, an argument against or a premise against, he backed it up with a ton of evidence and specific examples. And he drew from multiple sources, Supreme Court cases, the law, uh, the antitrust laws. Uh, I was just, the depth of research of this book is, I thought, really impressive. I agree. I th- it, and it's it's footnoted, too. And the, he's, he's got all kinds of stuff in there. You can read the original notations on some of them. I did actually go out to some of the, the articles and links that he provides, yeah. and, and they oftentimes still active. It's a new book, so I'm not too surprised about that, but it's it's well footnoted, I, I think, because I mostly listen to this run on uh, on the uh, Audible rather than than read it on on Kindle. Uh, so the so this what happens is when it keeps it in sync, I finished the book and it was only 68% of my way through the book. In other words, the end notes were mm-hmm. last a good third. Thir- last third of the book. Yeah. So yeah, well documented. Yes, it really is. And he starts off in the introduction with this. Want want your retirement funds to be used to force U.S. tech companies to adopt racial hiring quotas or to force U.S. energy companies to produce less oil to fight climate change? And his point, his overarching point is the corporate boardrooms, they're not elected. They're not accountable to anybody, certainly not uh, voters. I mean, they're accountable to shareholders, obviously, sure. but they're not right. accountable to to voters. And therefore, we need to have a you know not separation of <laughs> of business and state, basically. Yep, that's one of the big themes. And um, you know, he does talk a little bit about greenwashing, but greenwashing is fraudulent. And you know, it tells investors that they're getting one thing when in fact they're getting another. And he documents a couple cases of companies that have been fined by the SEC for greenwashing, you know, saying something's an ESG fund when it really isn't something like that. Um, 
But the big idea in this book, Ed, the, and it, and this really floored me because he didn't talk about this at all in Woke Inc., um, is this idea of green smuggling. Green smuggling. And that occurs when a non-ESG fund smuggles ESG policies into their investment practices. And that's what this book documents. So expand on that a little bit, Ron. So the, the, he gives example after example of, of this, where where he you take something that was, it, it's not, a, not an ESG fund, but we are trying to get the policies implemented. And then it gets even more complicated. So we'll talk more about that. But but just, just give an example if you have it of that. Uh, yeah, I've got lots. Um, but, uh, let's see. Um, well, can we put... Can we postpone that? Because yeah, I'll yeah, get yeah. to that. Okay. Yeah. Okay. There are a lot of examples of that though. Um, but um, yeah. So I, I kind of just want to go through this book chronologically because this is like peeling an onion. This gets very, very convoluted it's, and complicated. It's, it's not, it's not, not only that, 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 that would be two dimensional, three dimensional run. This is multidimensional. This, this, this is, it is. It's, it's like it's tentacles. And that, that's the thing that, that impressed me about this. And you go chapter after chapter after chapter, and you re- realize the sheer level of complexity and interconnectedness about what is happening here. Now, I, I, I want to say something else here. I'm not saying this is a conspiracy theory. Like, right. You know, I think that there is, I don't think that absence of evidence is evidence of it. it. (laughs) I think he's got plenty of evidence of what's actually happening. I'm just talking about the sheer level of complexity in this, which makes it all the more difficult to, to weed out and potentially even change. But we'll, we'll get to that because he does even talk about solutions at the end. And hopefully we'll get, we'll get to those, his proposed solutions later. Right. Absolutely. I do want to spend. A yeah. segment on that uh, for sure. Um, you know, he talks about chapter one. He begins, "What is ESG?" And you know, the term was coined in 2004 by the United Nations Global Compact, and it's really got two antecedents to it, which is CSR and SRI. Now, we've done a show on corporate social responsibility way back, uh, way back, <laughs> and yeah, when the show first launched, I think it was within the first 50 shows we did. But then SRI was is socially responsible investing, and that's what brought stakeholder capitalism into capital markets. Mm-hmm. So not just the boardroom, but also put it in front of the investors. The economist Howard Bowen was the guy who coined the term corporate social responsibility in 1953, Ed, in his book, mm. Social Responsibility of the Businessman. Um, so what Vivek says is ESG is the traffic cop that writes tickets to enforce stakeholder capitalism. And that's really, that, that's the mothership stakeholder capitalism. I don't care if you're talking about CSR, SRI, ESG, it's all stakeholder capitalism. This idea, which was in, in, uh, you know, counterpoint to Melton Friedman, that we need to run a business for all of its stakeholders for the benefit of everyone, not just the shareholders. And of course, Friedman's argument was that a business needed to maximize profits. He didn't say shareholder value. Mm-mm. He said profits, profits. <laughs> uh, kind of a big difference, but, um, and we'll get into some of that too, because there's some really interesting things when people criticize BlackRock, how BlackRock turns around and defends itself. Mm-hmm. And they always do it based on ROI to the shareholders. Profitability. <laughs> they, they don't talk about all the other things they do for the world and saving. The, they talk about how can you 
criticize Larry Fink when he's got a 7,700% return. Mm-hmm. Well, I didn't think that was all you cared about, right? Um, so he also talks about this idea of uh, the cost of virtue. He said, in a liquid global market, when one party divests from an activity for a non-economic reason, it simply creates an opportunity for another party to collect a higher rate of return purely for economic reasons. So when people force or investor groups for enforce uh, ExxonMobil, say, to, to drill less oil or whatever, that doesn't mean that that drilling is going to go undone. It's just going to be picked up by another company. Or, and, then, and, in, and potentially in another country absolutely, where, where environmental restrictions are not quite as stringent as they are in the United States. <laughs> he does point out, and I thought, I thought this was a really good point, that both CSR and SRI, Social Responsible Investing and Corporate Social Responsibility, they made no pretenses about maximizing returns, but ESG does. Not only does it say that companies that uh, do ESG will have greater economic returns, but they'll also solve all the world's injustices, right? And that is a pretense that the others never picked up. And, and that's, what, that's what we hear from ESG proponents is, oh, well, this is in your best financial interest to do this. Well, and, and on that point, the, 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 that's, that's been a concern of mine for quite some time. We, we, in fact, I remember when we talked about corporate social responsibility, I, I think we, we have a, 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 I don't know if it's a difference of opinion or it's a difference of perspective on things. For example, the example I usually trot out is I have absolutely no problem with Whole Foods when they were talking about this, saying they were going to give 1% of their profits away to charity. That's what they, they were going to do. And it was straight up. It was in their perspective. When people invested in them, it was told this is what we were going to do. Now, that to a certain extent is is stakeholder capitalism to a certain extent, right? Because you're, 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 you're not, you're t- taking, I'm not going to give this money back to the shareholders. I'm going to give it to other stakeholders, including the community that we serve. Right. I've got no problem with that being at the set at the four. I don't say Okay. So and it, I don't it, think Vivek does either. Right. As long as, as long as there's full disclosure, in fact, that's one of his solutions is we need better disclosure mm-hmm. on this. But to your question, Ed, about give an example about green smuggling, one month after um, Larry Fink sent a letter to CEOs saying, you know, every company must not only deliver financial performance, but also show how it makes a positive contribution to society, right? The Parkland shooting happened. Now, mm. BlackRock is the largest shareholder in every gun manufacturer and retailer in the United States. And it pressured them after this Parkland shooting to sell fewer guns by either getting out of the gun business altogether as Kroger did, or to voluntarily raise the age for gun purchases from 18 to 21. And the question is, how does this help shareholders in those gun manufacturers or retailers? And of course the answer is it doesn't. Mm -hmm. And so then the thing is, well, then how can BlackRock pressure gun manufacturers and retailers because they're not in ESG funds. ESG funds kind of eschew gun manufacturers and retailers, Mm -hmm. right? Well, that's because their non-ESG funds own the shares. Mm -hmm. And therefore, they bring that leverage 
And so even though they're invested in these companies, they still can bring leverage to the companies to make them change their behavior. Even though millions of investors in BlackRock that own, you know, these gun stores and manufacturers and probably are gun owners themselves, they never signed up for that. This is the disclosure problem. Correct. When I buy Whole Foods, I know they're giving 1% or 10% or whatever to charity. When I buy, you know, a share of Walmart in a BlackRock index fund or part of an, it's just part of an index fund. I have no idea that they're going to take that and pressure the company to do overtly political things like this. I'm just looking for best return. Mm-hmm. That's and green smuggling. That's green smuggling. Okay. Well, we'll need to pick this up on the other side of our break here. Want to remind our listeners that you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. Of course, the website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. Our first break, we want to remind you to rate this podcast. You can do that by going to ratethispodcast.com slash TSOE. And we'd love to have you rated. This helps others find the show. Please rate. And if you want comment, we read all comments on the air, good, bad, indifferent. So we'd love to hear you. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Have you ever read a book that changed your life? I sure have. Have you ever listened to an advertisement for a book so many times that you question the existence of God? Me too. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. I recorded the advertisement for Ron and Ed's book, The Soul of Enterprise Dialogues on Blah, 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 Whatever. And four years later, we're all tired of it, especially me. But thankfully, there's a solution. For just $10 a month, you never have to hear my voice again. For a commercial-free version of The Soul of Enterprise, go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe now. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. You are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Class. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about Vivek Ramaswamy's new book, Capitalist Punishment, How Wall Street is Using Your Money to Create a Country You Didn't Vote For. And Ed, we're talking about that example of the gun dealers after the Parkland shooting and how the uh, the big three you know, investment funds is the State Street, Vanguard, and BlackRock. There are others, but those are the big three um, pressured gun retailers and manufacturers uh, to stop selling guns or manufacturing them. And of course, 
the question is, how does that benefit shareholders? And of course it doesn't. Um, but like he said, the millions of investors in those funds, which are non-ESG funds, uh, many of them probably gun owners, never signed up for this. All they wanted was to make the best ROI they could. Um, and this is his example of green smuggling, how these the big three leverage non-ESG funds that own the stock in the gun manufacturers and retailers, how they can leverage that and pressure them and bring ESG policies to bear on them, even though it's a non-ESG fund. This is why one of Avake's proposals for BlackRock is to split them up into yeah. BlackRock ESG and BlackRock Financial. Right. Yeah. And we get we talk about goods because he's got he's got some really good examples of where that has played out well in other areas. Um, but 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 I do want to talk about this because let's 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 talk about the history of this because. And the reason why these 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 uh, funds are able to do this is because they they are the shareholders of the stock itself, right? The funds, right? But but they're investing money that other people have given them for their retirement fund, let's say. So you have a, a, a principal agent problem. Is that that's I guess the best way to describe it, right? Economists would call this a principal agent problem. Absolutely. And, and but for the longest time, when these funds were created. By uh, Jack Bogle was the the guy's name who created this. They they, they didn't really do anything with this. The, the the funds they just they just let the boards run run however they really wanted and just whatever the the boards of the company were saying. It's only recently where the funds have begun to elicit pressure on the boards for for these things. So I have the history of that correct. So yeah. I'm remembering it from the book, right? That's right. An index fund is basically they set up a trust. And when you as an individual invest your money into an index fund, you're actually investing into the trust that one of the three set up. And it's the trust that turns around and buys the Microsoft or the Amazon stock. Mm -hmm. So the, the Amazon, Microsoft are not accountable to you, right. the individual. They're accountable to the trust which is owned by BlackRock, who is accountable to you. So you've got these layers of principal agent problems. I mean, a, a big, a lot of this, Ed, is just the study of incentives. Mm -hmm. And this incentives get really warped here. They're all intertangled, and there's a lot of incestuous relationships between all this. It's really, mm -hmm. um, it gets very difficult to follow. You need a kind of a flow chart to figure it all out. But yeah, that's exactly right. And it was Jack Bogle who set up the index fund, I think, in 1976, and it didn't really take off. No, because they thought he was they thought he was crazy. They're like, why why crazy. would people want want to to invest and just make what the what the average of the market is? <laughs> that's right. And and then of course, uh, after the financial crash of 2008, then people started to pay attention and they took off. And before Jack Bogle died, he wrote a Wall Street Journal uh, editorial where he was prescient and he foresaw this problem of too much concentration among these passive index fund managers. Um, and he said, you know, this is not going to be, this is not going to be good for the country if there's too much concentration. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so when you talk about investing into these funds and the company doesn't have a direct uh, accountability to you, but mm -hmm. to the, but to the one of the big three, um, former Delaware Chief Justice Leo Strine, I love what he said. He said he named this new problem the separation of ownership from ownership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, That's which may, it, it is, but it makes it, your head explode. It, it does. <laughs> it, it really does. I mean, it's it's 
a, a layering of the principal agent problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and that yeah, because you already really have a principal, you already have a principal agent problem in in a corporation, right? And this is the whole layers of management. This is the complaint about it from these same people who now are saying, "Wait, wait a minute, this is how." We, so now you've created a a, a tertiary principal agent problem, which just makes it all the worse. So. Yeah. Absolutely. I know. I know. It's, it's, it's mind numbing. And of course, ESG proponents, while, while Vivek calls it green smuggling, they call it IFSI. Here's another acronym for us all investing for sustainability impact. So instead, and <laughs> this is what they say. This is, this is from them. Instead of avoiding sinful companies, invest in them, then make them less sinful by imposing ESG policies on them. It's just another name for stakeholder capitalism. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, invest invest in the liquor companies and have them not make alcohol. <laughs> I, I know. And, and, you know, he, one of the things that another thing he says, and I love this, he says, all this will obviously increase shareholder profit, ESG, DEI, CSR, SRI, PRI, SDG, IFSI. I mean, it goes on. And on. He said, this is what it looks like when an institution is captured by an ideology. It's just an extensive apparatus to eliminate political dissent from the global marketplace. One way to steal from people is to distract them from what you're doing. A safer way is to bore them. <laughs> then they'll distract themselves. Leave it to the big three, to Davos, the credential DEI and ESG, ESG experts. They're giving one another certificates that they're experts you know, it, we're just, we, think about it. Go to get an ESG certificate or what, who's giving that to me? Well, it's mm-hmm. the same people who created all this. Right. It, yeah. it, 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 we're just, it's kind of like Hollywood, you know, throwing awards to it shows to itself. And, and, and he was talking about this too. Is like, well, and, and some of these companies are set up that, that they, they are, they're, they're based on the, the wealth of the global wealth requirement. And, they pay themselves based on the expansion of wealth. So how, how great is that? What a great model is like if wealth continues to expand, we, we get paid either way. Okay, good. Well, this is, this is one of his examples, like the transition to green energy, you know, the OECD has got a report. It's going to cost $7 trillion worldwide. Well, this is why bankers and other ESG proponents want to get in on this because they get a cut of the fee. Mm-hmm. Of that seven trillion, right? So either way, it it comes out. Now, wonder they want to reduce fossil fuels and get into some of this subsidy money that's going to come down the pike. Yeah. The other thing that struck me, Ron, and I, I I think this is a little bit later on in the book. So if I'm jumping around too much for you, want or you want to get someplace, we can we can table this to the third segment. But the fact that ESG means different things in different countries too. <laughs> Yeah, this is another really great example. Um, for example, when they uh, he's got an example in here of when uh, they made Apple do a diversity audit that the the, the board didn't want to do, but because of the proxy voting and how the big three voted for it, they they made Apple do this uh, this audit, and then they said, but the company that makes um, Chinese cell phones. Mm-hmm. They don't have to do anything. No, no, no diversity audit. You know, nothing. They just um, make a suggestion that there be a, at least they, one woman on the board. 
a suggestion. On, on, yes, on 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 the diversity <laughs> issue. Yes, they they make a soft pitch for well, there should be at least one female. It's, it's, so it's like the standards are not the same. It, it it's a joke. It it's not even wishful thinking at this point, Ed. This is delusional. Yeah, this is absolutely delusional that we think that somehow we can measure all this stuff. And I'm sure we're going to get to it, but the uh, the ESG agency that gave uh, you know uh, FTX a higher rating in governance than the Exxon Mobil had. I mean that that wasn't that's not a bug. That's a feature. Mm-hmm. And this is another one of his points that because because uh, you know the the people who pr- propose ESG they're they're they may be well motivated. Because of that, they can't tell the difference between who's lying to them and who's not. Because mm-hmm. we can all claim virtue. Yeah, and you know? and when when standards are not the same, they cease to be standards. Yeah. That's the <laughs> that's the definition of non-standard, uh, and and that I believe is is a really huge problem. And and uh, you know, I just I just want to mention something, and I, I know I I talked about this in our previous show, but we have new listeners, so I think it's okay that we talk about this. And he doesn't talk about this as much in this book as he did in in uh, World Capitalism. But this this scope one, scope two, scope three mm-hmm. layers of this and how games are being played with that all the time. And that if you really look at what scope three says, you, you the old Carl Sagan thing about if you want to bake a cake from scratch, you have to start with creating the universe. In a, in a way, if you really look at some of those scope three standards, if you want to look at what energy usage is before you and and behind you, you got to start with the creation of the universe. The universe. I mean, <laughs> yeah. Right. And, and take it all the way down the line. He said, you know, making an oil company account for or 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 not just account for it and measure it, but try and reduce it. He said that would make as much business sense as McDonald's assuming responsibility for reducing the body weight of anyone who eats a Big Mac. Mm-hmm. That's what we're talking about here. I mean, I just took a trip over two days and my carbon footprint was probably astronomical on this trip because we spent an hour poking the sky over Philly because mm-hmm. of, of air traffic hold. Do I care? <laughs> mm-hmm. No, I had to get where I was going. Yeah. You know? So you got to, you got to make, make a living. <laughs> so how is United? And then of course the people that sell United fuel, how, how are they going to, how are they going to come after me for that? Mm-hmm. But that, that's what scope three is. It's kind yes. of insane. Yeah. You, you're to be blamed because they had to, you had to fly around Philadelphia for an, for an hour. It makes no sense. And, oh, and then land at another airport, by the way, and then oh. have to get refueled. Oh, Ron. Yeah, no, it was it was horrific. It was the it was the you are a carbon Bigfoot, Ron. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> and proud of it. Um, he, then in chapter two, he talks about um, the the sacred law of trust, and I love this the legal concept of the trust. Mm. It, it is it is still to this day described as sacred. This is the highest known to the law. The, the, that of a trustee. And um, when he, he gives another example of green smuggling with uh, public employee pensions, so CalPERS, which is the California public employee pension, it's got 500 billion in assets. It's the largest pension fund in the country. Mm-hmm. And he, he says they've forgotten that they're trustees. This, in the Supreme Court cases, he cites them all, basically says, 
you must act solely and exclusively to maximize retirees' financial benefits, period. Mixed motive mm-hmm. investing, this is from the Supreme Court, and it's a recent case too. I think it's a 19 case. Mixed motive investing is unlawful. Acting with mixed motive triggers an irrebuttable presumption of wrongdoing, full stop. An irrebuttable presumption of wrongdoing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, most pension funds don't embrace, though, sp- explicitly ESG investing. What they do is they put it into BlackRock's just regular fund, mm-hmm. right? But because they can use that as pressure, because they're an owner of the company, they can try and enforce ESG policies. Another yeah. great example of, of uh, green smuggling. Yeah. Uh, and yes, I did. It's a two, 2014 case, Ron. So uh, okay. uh, th- uh, Fifth Third Bank Corp versus Dunderhofer. Just, you know, for those those SCOTUS advocates out there who want to get into the details. <laughs> and, and and just this too, he, he took this exact, directly from BlackRock's website. We actually integrate ESG regardless of whether that portfolio has an ESG objective or not. That's green smuggling. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess you could say, that's full disclosure. Yes. Yep. Um, but boy, uh, I'm not sure it is, but maybe it needs to be. Let's, let's treat, try to be charitable and say this. Yeah, so, and, you know, and this is where he gets into you, you. You as an investor, and we'll talk about this, need to ask questions of your of your pension funds. And I think we'll get to that. I don't know if about the next segment, but definitely in the fourth segment. I want to remind folks they can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. We're going to be alive, by the way, at Scaling New Heights coming up in two weeks. So if you are planning on attending that show, make sure to check us out. We are going to be doing a keynote presentation, and then we both have sessions. I think unfortunately, Ron, they're against one another. So we'll have to, (laughs) you're you're going to have to make a choice between Ed or Ron on that. But uh, our second break is sponsored by 90 Minds. They are a Patreon uh, member of ours too. So you need a mind, get one at 90minds.com. But also at a certain level, you can get a shout out like Blake Oliver at EarmarkCPE has gotten. Check them out at EarmarkCPE.com. But right now, a word from our sponsors. Enjoying our shows and can't get enough of us? Follow us on Instagram at Voice America Talk Radio and see what we're cooking up for you. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever listened to an online radio show that changed your life? I'm required to say that I have. Have you ever stopped listening to an online radio show because the commercials were mind-numbingly repetitive? Of course you haven't because you're here right now. Look, you don't have to listen to me anymore. There's a commercial-free version of this show, and it only costs $10 a month. And for $15 a month, you get no commercial commercials plus bonus content go to patreon.com slash tsoe subscribe now and be free you're worth it 
Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. tuned into the soul of enterprise with ron baker and ed class to find out more about our show visit us on the web at the soul of you can also chat with us on twitter using hashtag ask tsoe now back to the soul of enterprise come back everybody we're talking about the esg illusion and ed one section that he has that i really like is esg for thee but not for me this is your point about how esg means different things in different countries um, uh, BlackRock said the military, we do not see a military confrontation with China or I'm sorry, with Taiwan is likely in the short or medium term. Um, and you know, obviously BlackRock is a big investor in China and Vivek called them out in the pages of the wall street journal, China may take steps and they responded, China may take steps to accelerate reunification with Taiwan. And Vivek says they could not utter the word invasion. Reunification is a term that describes a, a child separated from a parent at a shopping mall, not the military invasion of a sovereign nation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he goes on to say, you know, if you look at uh, w- what ESG means in China versus the U.S., in China, the E stands for energy supply because they're building a coal plant today. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, you know, they're not getting slammed for this. S also is all about the, well, you just have to have one female on the board, not 30%. Like we hold us companies accountable to, but he says, G is the most fun. He said, you know, um, in, in the United States, good governance at a minimum means not being owned by a single autocratic dictator, but not to worry markets like totalitarian governments, they are stable and predictable. Democracy is messy. <laughs> is excellent yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah so it's i mean you know this was this was the thing in russia too um with the energy crisis when they ramped up their production it didn't you know they were still getting higher esg scores than exxon mobile i mean this is just crazy on the face of it mm-hmm. yeah and uh, well g- continue I, uh, <laughs> my, my, my my point is sideways on to where you were going so go ahead well, the other thing is in chapter six, he talks about too big to compete. And he's talking about a meeting in 2022 of the investor advisory group of the International Sustainability Standards Board, mm-hmm. ISSB, which is a nonprofit dedicated to integrating ESG considerations into investments and stewardship decision across global portfolios. So it held a climate finance meeting. And he said one peculiar thing was before anyone was allowed to speak, a lawyer stood up and had to read a disclaimer stating the group was not a cartel because cartels are a serious problem in antitrust law and ESG has a serious antitrust problem. The fact that a conclave of firms says that it's not a cartel doesn't mean it's not a cartel. And yeah. so you, you get you get big oil in a room, Exxon, Mobil, you know, and they sit around and discuss how to cut production. Is that a cartel? They would yes. not get away with that. They would not get away with that in a regular antitrust suit case. But because they're talking about ESG, then all's okay. 
Well, and I, I don't think it's in this chapter, but it's tangentially related. This is where you get to CalPERS and, and the, 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 the different unions and the different states being on, on these boards and large, large um, institutional investors in, in the, all of these funds in the big three and then lever- leveraging their activity. Well, in the state where I live in Texas, we have a pretty big state, too. But what if and, I, and he even mentions this, Vivek, Vivek mentions this, what if if red states were to then get together and say, all right, we're going to we're going to begin to move our money as a block of states from an investment standpoint? Well, then that makes California and New York rounding errors compared to what all of these states combined are, are investing in. But see here, that's a cartel. That's a cartel. <laughs> <laughs> So, in other words, you know, cartel begets cartel is the issue, right? And and where does this stop? Where does this stop? When we we and we talked about this way back, red apps versus blue apps. Really? Or is is this where we're going to go with stuff? And red companies and blue companies can't. I can't keep up. (laughs) No, it's hard enough because you've got all these states' attorneys generals that are sending out these letters. Some are suing. Mm-hmm. Department of Labor and bringing others, and they've suits. got the Supreme Court and, precedent on their and, side, as you said. So you know, and 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 you've got, but but then you've got the red states with one position mm-hmm. and the blue states with another position. Ed, if that's not political, I don't know what is. Well, it's the defi- it's definition of political. <laughs> it, it, it is, I, and and this is what's so frustrating about this ESG stuff. This is politics. It belongs in the political realm. It doesn't belong in the C-suite, where. You know, nobody elected Larry Fink. Nobody, he's not accountable to anybody, you know, and his, he might have great views, but I don't have to agree with them. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that what would people would say is, well, you don't have to invest in BlackRock either. Yeah, but if I'm in a public pension that does invest in BlackRock, right. I might not have much of a say. That's yep. So that because there's a yet another principal agent problem now. If you're right, because now we've added the layer of pension funds being the, the that now the owners of the of of the investment group. So there's now a, a fourth layer, fourth rem- removal. So this is where your my eyes start to roll back in my head, Ron. I get I, glad. I, I agree. I mean, here, here here's how Vivek puts it. He says, if California cannot legally force every firefighter it employs to write a letter to Berkshire Hathaway employing it to cut greenhouse gas emissions, then it cannot force every firefighter to pay into CalPERS to write the same letter on their behalf. But that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. And does that firefighter know about that? I mean, it's one thing to know that you're investing in an ESG fund, or it's one thing to know that you're investing in a non-ESG fund and you don't think, okay, well then I'm not involved in that. I'm just going out to maximize returns. But then the, the, the index fund, BlackRock, whoever is then using all of this soft pressure, you know, meetings with the corporation, none of this stuff gets publicized either. I mean, this is not well publicized unless you're on the inside. But mm-hmm. they can be, you know, I'll tell you what, if Larry Fink calls the CEO of a public company, they're going to take his call. Oh, yeah. No and doubt. they're going to have a meeting with him. And mm-hmm. that's pressure. That's pressure. That's a, I think that's a problem. And, and as Vivek points out, commercial speech it enjoys the lowest amount of protection from, you know, the First Amendment, right? Mm-hmm. Political yep. speech is on the other end of the spectrum. Um, and pension fund advocacy is openly political. 
that's what makes this so convoluted as well. Yeah. How can you, well, he's got a free speech, right? To say that, right. It's not like forcing him to put a warning label on the cigarette. That's commercial speech. You can really, Mm -hmm. you can crack down on commercial speech a lot, you know, but when it comes to political speech and so they have that patina of safety that is around them as well, but it's openly political. And that's the point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, he also talks about the it, SEC's, you know, scope three emissions, like you were saying, uh, and just saying that this is a little bit more than guesswork. I mean, they have a 534 propo- page proposed regulation, Ed, and what it says is it, it requires companies to disclose whether climate change may affect more than 1% of any line item such as revenue or debt, and explain the impact. Well, I'm sorry, but that's little more than guesswork. And I don't care if you're a scientist, a physicist, an accountant. I don't care how many ESG credentials you have. That's plain guesswork. It's models. (laughs) It's not even that. Mm -hmm. I I don't even think it rises to that level. Mm -hmm. I I just, this is not... This is not how risk modeling is done, you know, when it ventures into guesswork. Well, and I'm going to I'm going to set you on fire here with about 90 seconds to go. But but look, what what I what I hear and what I heard when I was at AICPA engaged from people is, well, when the accounts get hold of this, they'll they'll they're going to be able to put standards in place for it. It won't matter. And 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 I was like, based on what? (laughs) Based on unlike debits equal credits where you must have a balance sheet and debits must equal credits where you have an identity equation that you can rely back on. That's not how this works at all. There's no principles. Accounting is just principles and rules. Right. And, and, and now they're, they're screwed up in their own way, but at least they're principles and rules I can follow. Mm -hmm. This is all over the board. And it's always going to be all over the board because it's so darn subjective and it's political. Mm-hmm. But and, and then the other the other argument that I heard was, but but accountants will be trusted in their attest function. They know how to attest to stuff. But again, they're attesting to what? They're attesting to debits equal credits, which is objective versus something that's completely subjective. Oh yeah, you're attesting to it, but you're attesting to a, a subjective standard. Yeah. Or non-standard, as it were. It doesn't, it doesn't, yeah. It, it you know, um, he quotes Sam Bankman Freed saying, I feel bad for those who got, you know, F by it, by this dumb game we woke Westerners play where we say all the right shibboleths, and so everyone likes us. And he said Sam Bankman Freed wrote those words to explain to a reporter how he built a cryptocurrency empire, but he said. The, he got an ESG rating from the firm True Value Labs that gave it a higher governance score than ExxonMobil, so mm-hmm. FTX. Uh, he said, Sam Bankman-Fried isn't a hypocrite. He's a fraud. But that misses the point. He didn't just exploit ESG. He was its product. Supporters of ESG are sincere, but their very sincerity prevents them from seeing that many people who mouth the same words are insincere. And he said, you know, this is the ESG paradox. The most virtuous people are the least likely to advertise it. Yeah. 
Wow, a lot to unravel. Well, Ron, in the next segment, I think what we want to do is maybe talk about some of his solutions that he proposes, whether we think that they are in alignment or, or can really do anything. But want to remind you, you can get a hold of Ron or me by sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise. Show notes, previews to upcoming shows abound out on thesoulofenterprise.com. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage. Birdie told me Voice America is on Twitter. Follow us at Voice America TRN. Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients. These solutions include education programs such as the Sage Accountants Network Client Advisory Service Program. This program delivers the tools to create, package, price, market, and deliver additional services to clients, increasing your profitability and delivering more value to your clients. Let Sage help you grow your business by visiting sageaccountantsnetwork.com. Have you ever been so annoyed by a commercial for a $5 ebook that you were willing to pay $10 to never hear it again? I sure have. Hello, I'm Greg Kite. Over the last several years, you've come to hate me, and I hate me too. By now, you know that for $5, you can get a copy of Ron and Ed's book. What you might not know is for twice that much every month for forever, you can stop hearing Hearing me plug Ron and Ed's book, which totally makes sense, like the Diamond Water Paradox. Go to patreon.com slash TSOE and subscribe today. Please, for the love of God, make it stop! The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about the ESG illusion and Ed finally to Chapter 10 where he proposes solutions and of course i don't think they're solutions i think they're trade-offs trade <laughs> but uh you know are they movements in right in the right direction i think is the is the interesting question and his first one is plan participants may be able to sue their pension boards you know he he he, he points out that calpers has got a board that's comprised of 13 members mm-hmm. seven are politically appointed six are elected by the you know, by the members. Mm-hmm. And when the members elect, they tend to bring on ESG critics, mm. critics of ESG, but they're outvoted by the polit- politicians who appoint, of course, pro pro ESG. Um, so that's a really interesting dilemma. And he said, because they're violating the sacred trust, which is the highest thing in the law that you, you get to, he said, sue your pension boards, bring litigation. Mm-hmm. 
And doesn't he talk about a case or two that's going on, um, on along those lines? There, are, there are some cases that are yeah. that are still that are pending. Yeah, um, but 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 I really I really wanted to talk more about what what us as individuals can do because as as always, okay, this is great, but what do we do about this? Right. And I and, and I think that the first thing is is it, you you can start asking questions of your of your pension fund of your money managers. Yep. In the last five years, have you invested in any of these funds that voted for any of this stuff that you are against? Whether I mean r- racial equity audits or uh, in- emissions standards, executive competition, uh, compensation, environmental social goals. Valid question. At, and at any time in the last five years, has I invested in funds that systematically underweight companies in effort in in any of the following sectors: coal, oil and gas exploration, defense, or firearms? And then do you use ESG factors in your external fund evaluation process, internal operations, or client portfolio optimization strategies? And if you're not getting answers, think about moving your money. <laughs> they, they should. And, and in fact, not only they should, but they, they legally have to give you answers to these questions. Right, right. But see, even if you invest in a a non-ESG fund and they say, oh, no, we're maximizing returns here, that still gives them the chance to green smuggle. Mm -hmm. This is a very difficult issue. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Now, he talks about market alternatives and, you know, you, you would let the market sort this out. Right. And we, you know, we, you've had those Catholic, uh, investing funds, right. Yep. Where they won't be, go for certain drugs or whatever. And their Muslims exclude companies whose practices violate Sharia law. It's a NASDAQ, NASDAQ company, HL, HLAL. And there's a pro-American who may want to exclude companies that offshore us jobs. <laughs> it's call sign is y'all. <laughs> Y-A-L-L. Yeah. Um, so, so there's always that. Um, and of course he started strive to be a market, mm-hmm. uh, alternative. Um, the other thing he says is state pension funds, proxy vote. Um, <clears throat> um, so this one is, uh, isn't to ban ESG per se, but simply to require affirmative disclosure to <clears throat> and express consent from the capital owners whose funds are used to advance ESG objectives. So this, he wants, he wants legislators and or regulators to not ban ESG, like some states have been doing, but to re but to put really strict disclosure into place. And I do think that's a good idea. Yeah. Uh, And by the way, this is the follow up to, to, to a point I made earlier, um, where he talks about the states, he's a California and New York CalPERS uh, in can, may control the neighborhood of 800 billion and New York's equivalent about 500 billion, but red states combined control more than 6.6 trillion. I know the numbers are staggering. Yeah. Yep. So, but, but let me just say this. I don't want to see that. <laughs> like, no. I, I don't, I don't want to see that. <laughs> And, and Ed, uh, one, one hope here is, and he talks a little bit about this, but you know, this has been covered recently in the news funds are pouring out of ESG. You know, it, it's been losing funds that it's not, it's not the bonanza it once was. And I think as people start to see that the returns are suffering, then it is, it's just going to take a hit 
You know, yeah. and and I guess that would be the the libertarian response is, hey, once people figure this out, they're going to dummy up and you know start going after investments or or making the investment directly into the company itself rather than going through a passive fund. Passive fund, right? Yeah, right. That's probably the best thing to do is just <laughs> to avoid avoid, avoid passive avoid, funds, <laughs> avoid index funds, or. Um, you know, yeah, all, but then you're back into the the whole problem managing your investments, and not. And I guess you could re- it, recreate these, but it, it, it it's so convenient, right? So convenient. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then what else does he say? He says, you know, he, I like how the way he sums up. He said the phrase "threat to democracy" is widely overused today, but ESG is a usurpation of democracy. This should not be a partisan issue. Dangers of excessive corporate power have historically been a core concern more for the left than for the right. And I agree with that. I mean, nobody likes excessive corporate power. We hate monopolies, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of what we're seeing here. Uh, and, and then he gives a thought experiment, and I kind of like this, although I wish he would have picked a, another example. But if instead of ESG, Wall Street were forcing corporate America to deny medical coverage for gender transitions mm-hmm. or to make employees acknowledge that biological sex is a fact progressives would be up in arms. I mean, just, just reverse it. You know, what mm-hmm. if, what if the right used this to push for its agenda? Mm-hmm. What would be, what would be the response? I mean, would we have occupy wall street all over again? Very possible or worse. I mean, God, I just want to live in a world, Ed, where what I buy, what t-shirt I buy, what soda I drink, what hamburger I eat doesn't make a political statement. Republicans buy sneakers too. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I mean, uh, this just is so convoluted on so many levels. And to think that we can put measurement standards around this is just... I don't know. It, it's just delusional. It's not an illusion. It's a delusion. <laughs> the ESG delusion. <laughs> D- delusion. I mean, at least with an illusion, David Copperfield, you know, making the Statue of Liberty disappear, he's entertaining me. This is not entertaining me. This is frustrating me. <laughs> yeah. No, I hear you. Very difficult problem, and as I said, that the tentacles all, are all over. It's going to take. It's going to take some time to un- unwind this. I, I do have faith, though. I, I, there are times when I was listening to this book where I was like, I don't think that this can continue on under its own weight. Yes. And, that, and- that's the thing that, that, that gives me the most hope about this, is that it, it, it is overly complex. And when some things get overly complex, they start playing a complexity tax. And it just can't, the center can't hold. Yeah. I mean, look, this is a show about business. Mm-hmm. And, and look what we had to do for the last hour to even explain this concept. Mm-hmm. Not once are we talking about innovation. <laughs> Not once are we no. talking about customer service, finding better ways to do things. We're talking about all this stuff that is a distraction from that. This is why Elon Musk is such a huge critic mm-hmm. of ESG. He calls it, he just thinks it's uh, a big scam. He calls it a scam. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of have to agree with that. But folks, I'm, we're going to really highly recommend you read Capitalist Punishment, especially if you're an ESG proponent. 
if you're a critic, you're going to love it. But if you're a proponent, I want to hear how you respond to this book. I, I want to see the arguments to this. Mm-hmm. We'll put you on. We'll put you on the show. We'll, yeah, we'll bring you on the show. Because I, from what I've heard from the proponents of ESG, not impressive at all. What I've heard from the critics, like the guy from New York University, the finance guy, I forget his name, unbelievable. And Vivek now with this. And I think our friend Kimberly Josephin is going to come out with a book. I think they're going to be devastating. Well, let's hope. All right, Ron, what do we got coming up next week? Next week, Ed, I can't believe it. We have Peter Block and his new book, Confronting Our Freedom. More mind-blowing stuff, but under, I would think, more pleasant variety. And actually focused on business. Imagine that. All right. Well, I'll see you in 167 hours then. This has been the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by Sage, building experiences that connect, remove friction, and deliver insights. Join us next week, folks, on Friday at noon Pacific time. In the meantime, check us out at thesoulofenterprise.com for more information on upcoming shows and full show notes. Also, contact Ed or myself at asktsoe at verisage.com. Thanks for listening, folks. Have a great weekend.